0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 49 of the Retrospectors Podcast Warhammer 40,000 Dawn of War. James, are you ready to relive the glory of reading through those old white dwarf magazines in the school library?
1: You know, even though I'm a bit more familiar with 40k than you are, I believe, I never actually read any of those myself.
0: See, um, I was always too poor as a kid to actually afford the Warhammer 40k models. I think I bought one and that was all I could afford <laughs> and I was very uh, jealous of everyone who had it. But I always had the um, White Dwarf magazines that were scattered about in the library to use my imagination to bring those, uh, those battles to life. So it turns out that the game that we played for this episode, Warhammer 40,000 Dawn of War, was my first real exposure to Warhammer on a, on a large scale. And I, was, I remember being overjoyed when I first played it when I was younger because um, I was finally getting to get a version of those figures in my hands.
1: Yeah, I actually only got into the franchise about a year ago with the release of Elite's Kill Team. Um, I only play, you know, these little small scale skirmishes with friends. I uh, don't have the time nor patience to paint a, a gigantic army uh, or even a tiny little army. I've got a, a couple of little orcs uh, bright up in their, you know, their smart red uniforms, but it's a uh, long process.
0: Yeah, it's a, um, it's a thing that's always intrigued me, but I've never actually got into the nitty-gritty of it. Um, but yeah, today we're doing warhammer dawn of war 40k we are the um retro specters podcast each and every fortnight james and i play through a classic game of the past and then we have an extended review and discussion to determine if that game has truly stood the test of time normally that's where i'd leave it but we had an interesting conversation with the users of our discord about the nature of what uh of what we do here and the nature of the reviews and the criticism So I just want to take a moment to address it in this intro. So there were some concerns that the way in which we were reviewing classic games was unfair, that we weren't understanding, uh, I guess, the limitations and the history of these games. Because when it came to our latest episode, the Super Metroid episode, James and I were both pretty critical on a lot of things. And the thing that I wanted to... Emphasize about the nature of our review that of people who haven't really played a lot of these games and are kind of experiencing them for the first time in the modern day is that while I think our criticisms are valid and I think you should listen to them, obviously, (laughs) they're not the only review or the only way to understand these games. I love my history and I think that a lot of these games can and should be appreciated in the context in which they were produced, something that other podcasts like Kane and Rince, I think, do an excellent job of. But our show is focused on the modern interpretation and a review that focuses on it in the historical context and our review can both be taken in harmony with one another. They're not in contradiction with one another. They can be understood and appreciated separately. So, while at times we can be very harsh, and I think justifiably be very harsh, I would never say that our reviews are the be-all and end-all of understanding video games and appreciating video games. It's just the one that is most relevant to us, and it's the one that lets us dive into the nitty-gritty and be the most critical. So, um, yeah, to assuage the concerns of the use of our Discord, we're not going to do anything different. Um, I think that what we do is good. But... uh, yeah there's a context to be understood here and it should be understood in context of other reviews not just by itself
1: mm, and it's interesting to me because as time goes on i think a, a review like ours becomes more and more relevant as there are fewer and fewer people who are around back when a game first came out
0: yeah so the, the thing about broadly more broadly speaking about canon and canonical works and classics is i think it needs to be an iterative process you should constantly revisit games that are considered classics over the years to see if they are still relevant and worth playing today or worth reading today or worth watching today, whether it's books, films or games, it's all the same. So while there's a lot of relevance of what we do today, I would hope that people continue to revisit these classics in the years that go on and they continue to ask the question that we're asking today. But yeah, on the Retrospectives podcast, we want to know how good these games are today. Not uh, the time in which they were produced, and we're proud of that. Uh, of that angle.
1: Mm, absolutely.
0: So we've um we've spoken a little bit about our prior experiences with um with the game and Warhammer 40k in general. I just wanted to add that I also kind of in preparation for this episode, although it turns out it maybe wasn't the kind of preparation I needed for 40k. Was I read uh, three of the most famous books in the Warhammer 40k extended universe? which is the Horus Heresy. I watched the fir- read the first three books of them and it's like out of
1: out of 50 books. <laughs> <laughs> out of 50,
0: yeah. So, I didn't get very far, but I the Horus Heresy concerns events in, you know, the 31st century, not the 40th. But it was still valuable for me. Apart from that, I've played Warhammer 40K mainly with friends at LAN parties, but I never played the campaign, which is what we're reviewing today.
1: I also have played the multiplayer previously with friends, but it's gonna be about five years ago. And um to touch on you going to the Horus Heresy for a bit of research before the show, I think uh, I think as we'll discuss we'll find that the the kind of themes in that book are relevant here, even if not all of the timeline is.
0: I don't I don't know if the themes are particularly relevant, but certainly the events that are happening in the present are informed by the events of the Horus Heresy. But we'll we'll get to that in a sec. For those unfamiliar with the game, Warhammer 40,000 Dawn of War is an RTS that was developed by Relic Entertainment. Like Entertainment is probably most famous for games like Company of Heroes, Homeworld, and Impossible Creatures, and of course the Dawn of War series. It's uh, based off the Warhammer 40,000 tabletop game where you get a bunch of little units uh, and uh, build them and paint them and play a tactical sort of turn-based board game. You know against other players it's very customizable you know you choose a faction and you have wars um james plays kill team but there's also a bigger bigger normal variant um dawn of war was first released in 2004 and it saw three expansions for the main game which at the time was a lot more common expansion packs for the way of things as opposed to dlc um it has two sequels, one which I actually really enjoy. Dawn of War 2 is a game that I've played a lot and its expansions are very good as well. Um, the sequel dramatically changed the gameplay and I haven't played Dawn of War 3, but on the Great grapevine reading reviews, it's meant to be pretty horrible. So it's a really successful series that Relic started with Warhammer 40k. It was the first attempt to adapt Warhammer into like a real-time strategy game. There'd been some other video games that were more turn-based that were released earlier than this it was a big move to make it a real-time strategy game there was also a first-person shooter called fire warrior that was released but i think it's famously mediocre um so yeah that's warhammer 40k dawn of war So uh, before we jump into a discussion of 40k and the story and all that, um, first things first, did you have any technical issues while playing this game, James?
1: Uh, Absolutely not. No, I just uh, bought it on Steam, installed it, and it ran straight out of the box. Um, I did install, well, I did add in a widescreen fix to get some more modern resolutions working with it, but uh, that worked flawlessly for me, and I'll put a link to that In the show notes, so if you want to play this game in uh, all its, uh, you know, high resolution glory, you can do that quite easily.
0: Yeah, I didn't even do that. I uh, looked at a few guides, and it had registry edits, and I'm sure there was a different way to do it. Really, I just just...
1: pasted into the folder. It was super easy.
0: The um the first method I tried didn't work, so I was just like, whatever. I can get close to widescreen resolution, and just stuck with that. But uh, yeah, same with me. I didn't have any crashes or anything. Um, everything worked. As intended, I guess. Although there were some issues that I don't think you would consider bugs and more problems, but we'll get into that when we get to gameplay. Mm. So, um, let's dive right in. So, what I wanted to do before we get into the nitty gritty of the story of of this this game, Dawn of War, was to spend a little bit of time discussing the broader universe, the lore and world building of forty K, because. 40K's lore and world building is just like mind-blowing in terms of scope. So I think it helps to have a bit of context before we start talking about these specifics. Big picture, Warhammer 40K is military sci-fi that uh, invented the term grimdark, but it was no, by no means like the first grimdark work. There were plenty of grimdark works of sci-fi and fantasy before it. But famously, Warhammer 40K has that uh slogan in the uh, far future, in, the, In the
1: grim darkness of the far future, there is only war.
0: Thank you, James. Appreciate for saving me there. <laughs> Very famous, but yeah, it invented the term "grim dark." So it's through and through grim dark. It's a, the far flung future. Everything is horrible for everyone. With all the different factions endlessly fighting for survival, with no faction able to get the upper hand to actually bring an end to the conflict. And if you're not a soldier throwing your life away at every available opportunity, your life is probably even more horrible in other ways, whether you're being pressed into slavery or killed for the glory of the emperor's continued psychic existence. James, how do you feel about the broader world of 40k? Are you invested in this law or are you kind of iffy about it?
1: So, I'm not heavily, I guess, enfranchised into the franchise. Like, I play a little bit here and there, and I I do enjoy reading about it, like, through wikis online quite a bit. Um, But what I have seen of the universe, I do quite enjoy. There's this sense of scale in this universe, in this conflict across, you know, tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands, millions of years across an entire galaxy that is really, you know, not replicated in many other works of fiction you know around the world um and i I really enjoy just the you know the the immense scope um, of everything that's going on here and all the uh, opportunities for smaller little stories across the timeline
0: so i think uh it's not just the scope but it's also the creativity i i think this is an insanely creative work with how different the factions are and the factions are Stupidly ridiculous and different and distinct in ways that I haven't really encountered in um, military sci-fi before, because you have these entire societies built from the ground up that revolve around the military, and you really feel like every single unit and part of that society is cohesive. Like it, it doesn't just feel like oh, this is just a version of the Russians. It feels like a cohesive interesting faction like i know that the orcs are your favorite and every time you tell me something (laughs) new about the orcs i laugh because of how ridiculous it is but how it still fits the it seems to fit the flavor of what the orcs are all about
1: 40K mm, has been going for quite a while. So I think what's happened over the years is that each of the factions has become more and more fleshed out as time has gone by. You know, uh the first edition of the rule book came out in nineteen eighty-seven, you know, quite a while away. Um so, you know, as these factions have had more written about them and had the, you know, the gaps filled in, they've really become their own really interesting beasts. Um, and I, I really do like that about the setting.
0: For all that I love it though, um, And what you said, I completely agree with. I do have a significant problem with it. And that's that Warhammer 40k lacks progress and it lacks change.
1: And that's by design, right? It's a, it's a, first and foremost, it's a hobby game, right? So any, you know, major, I guess, pushing forward of the plot kind of is at odds with maintaining the status quo of war, 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 right?
0: Well, I can't, I kind of disagree. So I have this vision of 40k, and I, I don't know if it's possible, but to me, 40k could be an ever-changing history. It doesn't need to take place in the space of five years. This could be over the course of a thousand years, where these societies are changing and you know new conflicts are arising, new alliances are being formed between these fashion factions. and the nature of these societies change in subtle ways to reflect revolutions and victories and alliances and different factions being conquered temporarily. Because yes, that would mean that each faction would need to become a lot more sophisticated because each faction would need to have be different and distinct depending on what time period that faction exists in. But I don't see how, it, how it's necessarily impossible. We're talking about a massive time scale. There's no reason that the factions can't change to reflect political alliances and all that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess so. Um, but really, 40K is set in the 41st millennia, right? Um, not across this massive time scale. And I, I want to stress again that both of us are, uh, you know, just really dipping our toes into the um, into this. Yes world, so you know, you know, maybe maybe it's a lot more complicated than we're giving it credit for, but uh I I I think it's fine personally.
0: So I'm gonna leverage the knowledge I had reading The Horus Heresy. And although I thought the Horus Heresy, the books I read, I enjoyed them a lot. I thought they were good. I thought the characters and prose were a little mediocre, but you can't deny the world. And the thing about the Horus Heresy that's distinct from what I've seen in 40k, and once again stressing I'm no expert on the on the setting, there could be fantastic stories seeded throughout, is that the Horus Heresy is a time of change and progress. It's a tale of revolution, galaxy-wide revolution. And so you saw, it's over the course of the books, you see a dramatic transformation of society. And I think that that ends up being far more interesting than the stagnant way in which war exists in the 40k universe and I do understand that that in itself can be considered a criticism I guess of sorts very it's very um, Orwellian how you have this constant war going and there's no way out of it but I would have liked to have seen um, an attempt to see some evolution in these factions over time and the nature of the board game and everything makes it very difficult. But I, I do think that is the main problem I have with this world. Not its, its scope is wonderful, its creativity is unbelievable, but it's stagnant.
1: See, I kind of disagree here, and let's um let's move closer to talking about the game here. So, if we talk about the main, I guess, most popular and primary faction of the 40k universe, the Imperium of Man, um, and you know the faction that you generally play as in the Dawn of War game. One of the most interesting thing to me is about the faction is how much of their technology has been lost over the last ten thousand years, and they've kind of devolved into this like a zealous religious organization that barely understands the technology it's using. It's less of a, you know, a civilization based upon scientific marvel and one more on a scripture and the Belief in their dying god, who governs almost every action that the uh the human faction takes in this universe, and it's really a lot of this faith and uh, devotion that kind of leads the characters in the story of Dawn of War um, on their on their journey as well.
0: Yeah, and that that main story starts off very, I'd say, classically. Um, you have the Space Marines battling for control of a planet called Tartarus against the orcs, and at first, that's all it seems to be. But as the plot progresses, of course, both the Elder and Chaos get involved, you know, trying to manipulate events to their advantage. As it's revealed that there's some magic artifact that Chaos is trying to unveil to create Chaos and the Elder are trying to prevent it and protect it. And as it goes along, you get more and more involved and you kind of get move on from this uh, from the main story of fighting against the Orcs to something a little grander. So, James, how did you, um, how did you feel about the story? Did you, did you enjoy it?
1: Yeah, so I'm of two minds about the story in this game. See, on one hand, I think the story does an excellent job of conveying the themes and aesthetics of the 40k universe, like that schlock, um, you know, of mankind fighting uh, against the, you know, the Xenos threats for the good of the emperor and the good of mankind. And each of the factions is represented really well and really faithfully to the game, if in a bit, you know, of a cheesy way what my big problem with the story is that you know in a nitty-gritty kind of detail sense it's not very fleshed out or very interesting the overall plot progression is very predictable and lots of the characters you know act in these very obvious ways um, I don't think any of the you know singular story beats is particularly interesting, nor do I think any of the individual characters are very interesting. And despite this, it still manages to be enjoyable on the whole due to some great voice acting, dialogue and uh, you know just schlockiness that comes with the forty k universe.
0: Yeah, I think that the um the main story plot beats are pretty well done, even though it ends up being, you know, like a trail of breadcrumbs, where you just go from A to B to C. You know, chasing down the artifact and the thing that points to the artifact and the thing that unlocks the artifact, etc. Et yeah, et it's like MacGuffin
1: A and then MacGuffin B and then MacGuffin. C. Yeah, but
0: the um, it's but, not
1: very interesting.
0: But the can you know, it does a good job contextualizing every single thing you're taking in the plot in cutscenes, both before and after every single mission. So it's all logical how it all fits together my primary problem with this story comes in the characters uh so full spoilers here I'm just gonna dive into a bit of the things that make these characters tick so if you would like to avoid spoilers just skip ahead a bit but uh
1: it's not it's not a big deal it's not I a big deal think, it's pretty
0: uh, obvious to see what's coming so basically uh there are two. What I like to see in you know these these games and these game stories is uh characters' inner struggles, particularly when we're talking about chaos because the whole point of chaos is that it's a constant temptation that people succumb to now, I understand that chaos can be a lot more violent but I think it's most interesting when it's something that people internally something struggling. insidious
1: yes something that takes advantages of your inner weaknesses yes. and you know turns them against you slowly and you know uh almost without your notice
0: some something that exploits chinks in your armor right
1: yeah absolutely and i don't think that um the chinks that are being exploited in this game are particularly interesting i think this is where you're going
0: yeah so Isidore is a character that gets tempted and corrupted by chaos However, the thing that tempts and corrupts him is you could be powerful if you accept a chaos, which is not very interesting. No. It seems you get hints of the um, the sorcerer that's manipulating him, trying to drive a wedge between him and his chapter leader, Gabriel. But the thing is, Gabriel and Isidore get along really well for the entirety of the plot. Like, there's nothing... Yeah. That it's not like Isidore has a different philosophy to Gabriel, and Gabriel is preventing him from following a slightly different philosophy that's maybe not the doctrine of the Emperor, or it's not like there's a power struggle between the two. It's literally the this sorcerer whispering to him, you could be more powerful. And that's yeah. just not interesting storytelling. It's 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 not interesting character work. It's very sloppy. So even though this character is very archetypical and the voice acting is fantastic, it ends up being pretty dull, like you said.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the thing that made the story enjoyable for me primarily was the voice acting and the dialogue. You know, they make very specific dialogue choices for each of the factions and the way that they speak, you know, from the whispering insidious chaos to the overly zealous space marines and the, you know, uh, cunning orcs. <laughs> um, I really <laughs> the enjoyed accents, listening to yeah. the, the Cockney accents. It's great. I think that they get... I guess, the flavor and aesthetics of each faction basically perfectly. Um, But what's really missing here is a bit of depth, a bit of, you know, more intrigue, some characters that have some real internal conflicts. You get a bit of that from the main character who, you know, you you come to realize made a difficult decision uh, for, you know, as he believes the good of the Emperor overall. Uh, in his past campaign, but it's not really explored for any of the other characters. I really wanted to see a bit more out of them. I know this is just like a silly RTS campaign, but it could have been a bit more interesting than it was. Um, overall, I think that the way I would describe it is if you are coming into this game just to play an RTS and don't give a shit about you know the 40k universe as a whole, uh, I don't think you'll care about this story at all. But if you do like 40k, then I think you'll find it to be very faithful.
0: I just want to return to Gabriel for a moment, because I think the problem with his character is that his inner struggle should be, was it right for me to commit an exterminatus on the planet? That's a very that's a very easy thing. His family was on it. It's his home planet. That should be his inner struggle. But you know what his inner struggle actually is? The thing that makes him upset? It's how can i never see chaos and it always seems to come up close to where i live that's his struggle he at the end of he doesn't really have any problem with committing the exterminatus he's just concerned that sometimes chaos gets under his nose and he doesn't notice it which is but that's
1: part of the but that's part of the thing about the imperium right like to him, the exterminatus was, like, once it had reached that point, once the once the threat of chaos in his home planet had progressed so far, there was no other logical conclusion. There's nothing, there's no space in his mind for doubt. Like, that's how indoctrinated there are. His external struggle is the fact that he didn't notice it. Like, he's upset that he had to do it, but he's upset that he had to do it because he wasn't good enough to see it from the onset of the, you know, the, the chaos incursion, not because, you know, he's doing this extremely violent act for his emperor.
0: Yeah, but what's more interesting, what you described, or Gabriel being devastated by the fact that he's had to commit an extermination against his own planet and his family, and then in the end, deciding it was the right thing to do anyway. And that's what what I wanted from this story. I wanted Gabriel to question and doubt, and then come to the conclusion that the glory of the Emperor and the destruction of Chaos was worth the price to pay. Because that is still zealotry. That is still belief in a grander good. But it's it. It's more human. It's him acknowledging that, yes, I loved my family. I, I don't think, I think that is a more interesting character.
1: You don't think blind faith is pretty human?
0: I think that people's faith gets rocked all the time. I think that's the norm. I think I think it's normal for people to feel their faith rocked, but they return, they return to that faith and that belief. When, when a family member dies, you can feel devastated and you go to your faith as a thing to console you now all this being said i'm i'm saying this as a as a non-believer but i think someone (laughs) i think someone struggling with their faith and then ultimately deciding to go with it which is what he should do he's a space marine is a lot more interesting than just straight up blind faith no matter what happens that's that's just a less interesting character arc
1: i think a lot of people really dislike questioning their faith and questioning the things that make them themselves Um, I think that here in this setting, what makes it stand apart is this blind faith, is this overzealotry, is this, you know, uh, unquestioning attitude, and those differences, and all of the things in the history that has led up to this point is interesting to me, that like so many things in the Imperium of Man's history, in their indoctrination, in their culture, leads to such twisted morality that this isn't even a question that's interesting to me um i think that it makes it stand out against a lot of human factions because ultimately i don't believe like in this universe the imperium of man is kind of like the player perspective the human perspective but ultimately i wouldn't say it's a good or a moral one uh, on the whole and i think that that like you know gray area you know where everybody is in the wrong is you know pretty interesting
0: okay so i see what you're saying but i think that there's an intrinsic conflict to be had there because i don't believe at least with my understanding of the 40k universe if the emp i don't think people would listen regardless of what the emperor said if the emperor said all right i want you all to kill all of your battle brothers um and then shoot yourself in the head I don't think every single faction of the Space Marine would follow that order. And maybe that's a misunderstanding of mine, but I don't think the zealotry is literally unlimited. There is a limit. And I think exploring yes, there that probably is a limit. Well, yeah. and I yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I think exploring those limits in that zealotry is interesting, even if it ends up with them, you know, remaining committed zealots. Because a zealot who believes they are right. It's once again, a return to Orwell in 1984. The brilliance of 1984 is that by the end of 1984, the main character loves big brother and he thinks that big brother is right. And that's what I, I wanted to see that, that change. I want I wanted to see him struggle and then eventually decide it was the right thing. Just believing it's the right thing that no matter what, I don't know, less interesting to me, but, but I do take your point about, about the fact that they aren't human. And and that's something that I do have to keep in mind. They look human, but they're not human as we understand them.
1: I mean, I agree with you. On the whole, I think that the characters lack a lot of depth that could make them more interesting and more engaging. Um, I think that a lot of the motivations between the other factions aren't explored enough, particularly um, the Eldar. And, you know, the Orcs and the Chaos are very, uh, I guess, single-minded in the, you know, their intents. Um, but... I think that the humans and the Eldar did have a bit more wiggle room and could have, you know, been more interesting characters. But again, on the whole, I think that it's very faithful to the lore, uh, very faithful to the aesthetic and, you know, the kind of things that 40k is trying to uh, represent. Um, So I guess, you know, as somebody who enjoys the game um, and enjoys the setting, um, I found it overall enjoyable, but it's nothing special from a i guess a literary point of view
0: yeah story story was okay but the characters were a big downside for me um nowhere near uh nowhere near the depth of horus heresy which i understand is a book but i (laughs) enjoyed the stuff in the horus heresy the context and the characters and everything and the change and the revolution a lot more um one final quick note about the elder um I think it's kind of okay for them to be underexplained because it's, you know, they are elitist, haughty, sort of
1: mysterious, a, mysterious yeah, race yeah, who, I, who wouldn't can, share okay, what fair. they do
0: with the humans. But uh, yeah, I, overall, yeah, characters could have done with a bit more depth. Anything else about the story, Jimmy?
1: No, just that, the you know, I've said it, but I'd like to say it again that yeah, the voice acting and delivery is superb here. Voice acting's um, 10 out of 10. The, I loved it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, not just in the cutscenes, but also, um, you know, in battle when your units are running around shouting orders and imperatives Walks to the Emperor. Walk softly and
0: carry a big gun. i heard
1: that so many yeah. times. Yeah, <laughs> many times, yeah. Um, the, uh, while we're talking about the story, do we quickly want to touch on the graphics of the in-game cutscenes? Because to me, it was pretty bad. Uh, do you want um, to
0: take a music it, break quickly and then we'll dive into
1: it? yeah sure why not um did you want to go first
0: yeah so um i have i have a confession to make james one that i'm very embarrassed about i oh, spent yes. uh 80 of my time playing this game with the soundtrack turned off did you and there's there's a reason for this so one of the interesting things about this show is that before we started this podcast is that i used to turn off music when playing games like 90 percent of the time i was like I don't want to listen to this music while I'm trying to play this video game.
1: I can feel like the majority of our listeners rolling their listen, eyes. Listen,
0: I'm not I'm not like that anymore. And although my ability to <laughs> criticize music is still not great, I listen to soundtracks. But about three to four years ago, I remember downloading Dawn of War on a whim to play a, some multiplayer with a friend of mine. And we played like two games. But what I must have done when I did that, because that was before the podcast, is I would have gone and turned the music off. So when I've reinstalled Dawn of War now...
1: It's kept the settings? It kept the (laughs) settings
0: and I didn't even think to check. And I played through 80% of the game, like basically everything except the last two missions without the music. And then finally, as I was kind of finishing these last two missions and I was thinking about preparing for the show and what music i'd pick i was like wait a second i can't remember any music and then (laughs) i went to my there's actually
1: a lot of times in the game where music doesn't even play um i was you know i was loading up some games and i like there was a lot of sections where there was just no music at all playing okay um you know it always came in right at the start of each mission during the loading scenes during uh the cutscenes, and then you know it kind of faded off uh into as the cacophony of battle kind of overtook everything so so Um, so you're not missing out on a whole heap there are some decent tracks here
0: i ended up um listening to uh this most of the soundtrack i didn't listen to the whole thing because i was kind of running out of time by the time i realized um but uh the one i wanted to highlight was the menu music uh which i think is very iconic um it really has that feeling of you know triumph in the face of adversity that the space marines are so proud for so this is the dawn of war main theme
1: That was the main theme of Dawn of War. I particularly liked how it has a lot of those choir vocals in the background to give mm-hmm. that you know sense of grandeur um, and you know it, it's got these like religious undertones and that kind of thing. I thought they did a pretty good job of the main theme.
0: Yeah, no, I, I very much like that track. I do have to say it is very difficult for me to give detailed impressions on how I feel about the soundtrack as a whole because i wasn't able to well i I didn't listen to it while playing the video game like it's hard to Uh, contextually understand like listening to it on youtube is just not the same so i'm afraid you're gonna have to do the heavy lifting james tell us about the soundtrack no 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 no,
1: no, no. i'm gonna pause and you're gonna play it again from start to finish with the sound (laughs) turned on and then give me your in-depth critical analysis of the um the soundtrack so on the whole, I'd say it's pretty good. Um, they do make a good use of these deep horns and, uh, you know, choir vocals to give that grandeur soundtrack, as I've mentioned. And that's kind of present throughout the uh, the entire experience. It does blend into the background a lot. Uh, when you're in firefights, it gets really loud with squads upon squads of Marines firing their bolters. But, uh, you know, on the whole, I quite liked it. Do
0: you think it did a good job underpinning the cutscenes? You said there was a lot of music in the cutscenes. Like, did it drown it out or was it just adding a little bit to the to the to those scenes
1: no i think it added a good tone to them in general it wasn't too loud and the mixing was pretty good um i I mean i remember the voice acting so fondly that you know it definitely couldn't have been too loud
0: (laughs) the um the elder theme in particular uh, it's like from what i've listened to it does seem like they do a good job Making each theme match each faction with the Eldar theme having a more ethereal sound to it. And the Orc theme mm. has those banging drums, which, you know, <laughs> I, I think it, it seems like it would do a good highly job. Sophisticated
1: and <laughs> highly sophisticated music, highly
0: sophisticated beans. But yeah, um, okay, soundtrack, but, but nothing awe inspiring
1: you don't get to say that patrick you don't get to render judgment on something you didn't listen to yeah
0: it does feel a bit um ingenuous but uh i i listened to two missions worth of it that's got to be
1: okay something yeah i see how it is um quickly back to the graphics of the cutscenes, which i mentioned before it's Mm. like they just zoom in on the models um they don't like enhance them in any way shape or form i found in a lot of rts campaigns they still maintain that like bird's eye view of the Models so they don't like turn into potatoes when you zoom up on them, but uh, it looks very, very uncanny and cartoony and stupid, even when the models are zoomed in on. I was not a fan of the way they framed these,
0: yeah. This is very much the Warcraft 3 style of like uh, in game cutscenes. However, James, I um, I didn't have as much of a problem with it as you did, which is interesting because uh. The reason I don't think it's too much of a problem is that these cutscenes aren't, and these characters aren't trying to imitate real life. They're trying to imitate the models. This is a Warhammer 40k game, so the models are, you know, the the characters in the game are meant to be, you know, fairly close one to one representations of the models. I want, I want to models.
1: clarify. I'm specifically talking about the, you know, the story cutscenes. The graphics in-game I think does a fantastic job of bringing the you know the tabletop game to life. In fact the very first thing I saw uh, I thought when seeing the Orc models was these look like the real Orc models like the actual ones from the game just put into the game you know they have that weird arched back and funny like stride that they have. Uh, I think they did a great job of you know, porting the models into RTS units—it's um, just that once you zoom down a bit of the texturing and you know the way that the the mouths and the the limbs are jointed doesn't quite hold up to some detailed scrutiny. But you know, at that normal RTS bird's eye view when you're in mission, I think it looks pretty good, um, apart from some obviously dated textures.
0: See, it's interesting because I imagine if you would take that tiny model and you were to blow it up to the size that we see in the in-game cutscenes, it wouldn't be that far removed. I think that they would look kind of goofy and silly, Um, they wouldn't look like super realistic ones, although obviously I know there are some genius painters out there that can, can bring a lot more detail to it, but because the models themselves aren't enormously detailed, it didn't really strike me as a problem, in the same way that we generally don't have a problem with more cartoonish graphics. This felt like cartoonish graphics, you know, akin to the board game. So I um I actually had no problem with it whatsoever. It didn't blow my mind, and it's nowhere near as good as Dawn of War 2's graphics. But I thought given the source material, it wasn't an issue for me.
1: Okay, I just I found it really hard to take the cutscene seriously. Um I just wish they had presented them in that top-down view. Uh, I Like, I, I have no problems with the models from that angle. It's just when you're zoomed in, the animations and something about the way, you know, something about the way they're animated just isn't quite right.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know how you would animate them. It's tough because you ha- you'd kind of have, they're so, a lot of the models are so bulky. Like, I mean, I guess you could do it. It's probably something close to Starcraft 2's Marines or something. But yeah, it's, uh, I agree that it's stiff and everything, but to me, that's kind of part of the charm. But yeah, maybe I'm giving it too much credit for being a board game.
1: Yeah, true. All right, so uh, this game is not a visual novel. It oh. actually has gameplay, surprisingly. Um, and you know, we we've been you know uh, lip flapping, gum flapping for uh, you know forty minutes now. And I kind of want to start talking about the gameplay, Patrick. What do you think?
0: I think it's uh, about bloody time we did. This is a video game yeah. podcast, after all. So <laughs> let's uh, let's dive in. So Dawn of War is an RTS. Uh, The way it works is that uh, there are control points all over the map. When you have an infantry unit you can seize control of that control point and it will provide a steady stream of requisition points which is your primary currency while playing the game. You can also build power plants to get power which is the secondary currency. Um, I will specify that this is all from the space marine perspective since we only played the campaign. So it's possible that the other factions in the game have a slightly different economic system. I guess you would say the primary distinction between a game like this and a game like StarCraft and other modern RTSs are those control points. Although those control points have, of course, been used in games like Company of Heroes, also made by Relic. So basically you build your base, you build some infantry, and then you start seizing control points um, to build up your economy, and then you need to defend those control points before eventually going on and destroying your enemy's base. So James, my first question with this is that this is distinct from the mineral patch sort of RTS system. Yes. Did you feel that in function and in effect, this led to a much different RTS experience, or was it just another way of doing the
1: same thing? Um, I much prefer this system. I think it adds a lot of objectives to the map that are much more easily contested, and it kind of creates these tug of war style skirmishes where you're both trying to, you know, get a leg up on your opponents uh, via your economy. Um, and you've got to do this by controlling more points, and this leads to a lot of you know skirmishes that you know aren't very hit and run. You you've got to go in there, you've got to get those points, and you've got to have your unit sit on them, you know, inactive for about a minute in order to control them. So uh, I think it encourages a very aggressive style of play, um, one that. In, Uh, leads to a lot of uh, fun fights and lots of trying to figure out you know which point is the best to capture which you know where will be the hardest for them to take back which points should i reinforce with buildings because they you know they're critical points that you know may lead them uh to my base or to other important areas i think that making you know the whole area the whole map basically important via you know sprinkling these points throughout it made for a much more uh engaging experience than a more traditional you know uh mineral patch style rts as you've mentioned where i guess you can kind of just you know sit there in your base with your mineral patch turtling and building up a huge army before uh i guess washing over your opponent and that's not as interesting
0: so here's my contention james because what you're describing is something actually I remember a lot of gaming journalists bring up. They're like, well, you can't just turtle in your base with this game like you can in other RTSs because you have to fight for the control points. The truth is you can never turtle in your base in RTS games. It's never a viable strategy. It's just people are shit at RTS games. And they think that that's a thing that they do. (laughs) People have non-aggression packs when they play in these LAN parties. I've been part of them. They're like, I won't attack you for 15 minutes or I won't attack you for 30 minutes. And people build up their base and their total and they attack. But the reality of modern or professional understandings of RTS is that you need to go out and fight for territory. And if you watch any StarCraft 1 or StarCraft 2 professional match, they fight non-stop there are skirmishes nonstop, and they still have traditional uh, mineral patches. So I feel like control points are solving a problem that doesn't actually exist. If you're playing RTS as well and you're trying to win the game, you're going to be constantly fighting against your enemy enemy anyway.
1: I mean, you're saying all this, but we're not reviewing the multiplayer of this game, are we? We're reviewing the single-player campaign. And I think uh, in most uh, traditional single-player campaigns, turtling is absolutely a good strategy. I did it for, you know, almost every mission when we did Red Alert 2. Uh, like, the, um, the enemy AI just did not come and contest me, so you can do that. Um, if you don't leave your base in this game, then you're not going to get enough resources to win.
0: That's a fair point. In, traditionally in Red Alert 2, there were certainly a lot of missions where you could build your defenses up to a point where you could start creating an army and then roll over the enemy. But James, I did exactly the same thing in this game in the single player campaign. I would seize a few points. I would have many, many resources. I would gradually tech up my marines until they were fully geared. I'd tech up my tanks until they were fully geared. The unit cap's quite generous in that regard. And then I would face roll my enemy. So I think that would be a more valid point if Dawn of War's single-player campaign actually presented challenges that forced you to constantly contest the enemy instead of playing more defensively and slowly. But apart from one mission, which I think is mission 10, like the second last mission, where... It's essential that you go out and you just take heaps of control points early on. I use the tech up, build a bunch of tanks, tech up my marines and eventually roll through them every single time.
1: I played this game on normal, like the middle difficulty, and I had a feeling that you would play this on hard, so there
0: there are 3 difficulties, it's normal, hard and insane, right?
1: Yes, but I I feel like normal's actually easy. Yes, you know what I mean. Like is, they just named it differently.
0: Yeah, enemies have fifty percent health on normal.
1: So I played on the middle difficulty. Was that the same for you? As yeah, well? hard. I played on hard, which is just yeah.
0: normal. It's a hundred percent hit points. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I found that in a couple of missions, the style of gameplay that I described did happen. However. Mm-hmm. I do agree with you that for the most part, um, this style where you can just, you know, get a couple of points and then wait until the critical mass is in fact a viable strategy for the majority of the game. Um, And I think that's a big failing of the AI because I do think that this point capture system allows for the style of interesting single player gameplay that I described but the failings of the you know the ai in this game mean that it never really comes to fruition like you described
0: yeah i i can see what you're saying i can envision a theoretical application of this system that is a way to go against turtling but it would be a very tough campaign. Oh, like I'm just imagining a competent AI that's constantly, constantly, constantly harassing your backline. Harassing line. you? Well, they do yeah. it a little bit, but they tend to send like one unit at a time, and often it's like one, one like light infantry unit. Yeah, yeah. It's... A single turret is going to beat them a lot of the time, so it it's not effective harassment. But can you imagine if you were being like effectively harassed? It would be. It would be a nightmare. I mean, you'd end up getting good, but it would it would I can see how that could exist.
1: It'd be a lot more interesting than what's here now. Um and it doesn't help that the I think compared to a lot of real-time strategies that i've played and for you know information those would be like things like warcraft 3 age of mythology age of empires red alert 2 there's a severe lack of you know special missions that uh, don't just involve base building and the usual rts gameplay like uh, missions where you have a single important unit and you're running them around doing weird bonus objectives that are unique to this mission in mission 2 of dawn of wars gameplay there is this mission where you start off with a bunch of scouts um, who have a stealth ability and you kind of have to like sneak past these orcs and i was like oh this is fun Um, there'll be a bunch of these kinds of specialized missions throughout the campaign nope it's just the very start of this one mission that's like that and there really isn't much else variety uh wise other than that for the most part you're just going to be you know dropped into a map and then you just build up your base and then you kill everything and then you know you do the same again for 10 missions in a row or something
0: yep it's uh it's very disappointing um rts design has just moved on from this i mean it had already moved on from this this is post warcraft 3 which had you know which is it's really interesting because warcraft 3 feels like an inspiration to this game in a lot of ways like it's taken a lot of leafs out of its book with like the hero units and the way you control your hero units and the units gain abilities and things like that but it fails to deliver on the interesting variety um, that exists in warcraft 3 and then later in starcraft 2 um it's it's not just as james said that you don't necessarily need like a special rpg mission but you should have diverse objectives and you know specific circumstances where units are are very good like they did it a bit there was a mission where there were some chasms and
1: you needed to use jet troopers i i liked that mission a lot
0: you jump over like two chasms and then you eventually when you seize the second base you just build up your forces again and roll over them so it just felt they weren't really fully exploiting their potential here but uh so yeah, kind of disappointed with the um with the campaign structurally in that regard.
1: Yeah, that said though, um the missions themselves, like even though they're very samey and repetitive I think that the solid, the base game mechanics and the you know the options you have with I guess squad customization and how faithful that is to the tabletop game still makes it somewhat enjoyable to just play these missions out. Um, I I still enjoyed you know making a whole bunch of different control groups of en- of dudes and you know having them run through their separate parts of the maps, capturing points and killing enemies. Um, it was very responsive and I, I liked i do like the way that the units work um so let's let's you know, talk despite... about that a bit let's let's yeah, talk yeah, about sure. the
0: more micro side so you you there aren't there isn't an enormous amount of uh unit variety available to you in warhammer 40k you know you've got your space marines your assault marines which are the ones with the jet packs um what are the other infantry units you know you have your your Scouts. And then you've got your elite unit, the Terminators. Um, then you've got tanks. You know, you've know, you got a variety of tanks and dreadnoughts and stuff. But like James said, the, it's a lot more complicated than it first appears because there's an enormous amount of customization and modularity to all of these units. The Space Marine Squad isn't just a Space Marine Squad. It's theoretically one of four different squads that can be built in a whole bunch of different ways
1: yeah so with your squad when you build you know a set of space marines uh you know uh, a squad with four marines will pop out of the barracks and then they'll go stand wherever you told them to um and from there you have the option to spend resources to add more you know single units to the squad up to i think it's about eight or nine eight, um, and eight, then it's some, eight normal units it's eight and eight sergeant. normal units yeah and then you can spend money to get a sergeant who gives them you know morale bonuses and a little you know he's very good in melee um and then you know on top of that you're able to spend points on special weapons just like you would in the you know in the tabletop game so you can equip them with uh heavy bolters which are good against infantry or you can equip them with rocket launchers uh which are good against buildings and kind of vehicles that sort of thing and you can have like a maximum of two and then four um, of these weapons, and you can combine them in different ways. So you can kind of make a bunch of specialist uh, squads that can take out different threats, which I thought was, you know, really fun because it means there's this kind of like rock-paper-scissors style gameplay going on that you know you and your opponent could have this back and forth with. Again, unfortunately, the AI kind of lets it down here, and you're never really forced to make lots of interesting decisions with the system. But it's like the technology's there. They just don't make full use of it again.
0: So, James, it's time for me to wade into dangerous territory because I want to talk about balance. And
1: <laughs> it's...
0: Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm kind of scared talking about balance in an RTS because I'm new to all have a 40k Dawn of War and I have no idea what this game actually resembles when balanced. I've um, heard enough scrubs talk about balance to me about games they don't understand when I've been good at them that I'm... I've got some serious trepidation here. But James, what I want to talk to you about in this game is vehicles. Specifically, how much hit points vehicles have and how invulnerable they are if you don't specifically tech to beat them. And even when you do tech to beat them, they're still very strong. I believe when I was playing this game that it really came down to, can I deal with the enemy's vehicles effectively? And how good are my vehicles at absorbing damage from the enemy? And I I would have my space marine squads overwhelmingly having missile launchers. I would yeah, often basically. have like... If I had four squads of space marines, I, I would have like half to three quarters of them just with missile launchers. Because vehicles were that big a problem. They have thousands of hit points that basically... Melee fraggers. If if a if a vehicle gets in, if most vehicles get into melee range, like the dreadnoughts and stuff, they will just rip through two squads by themselves if they are not equipped to deal with that vehicle. Do you believe there's a balance problem here? Is there something I'm not understanding about 40k? I I just from my other experience with these games, even the game like Red Alert Two, where it ends up being tanks versus tanks, there is still a vulnerability to the vehicles, like they die much much faster than in this game is this a balance problem or is it just part of the game
1: um i do think it's a balance problem i think that rocket launchers are definitely the best uh weapon upgrade for you to take specific like not just because they're good against vehicles and vehicles are scary but because they deal with buildings so quickly too Mm -hmm. Um, It's like a double-edged, oh, it's like a two-pronged sword that deals with, you know, the biggest problems. And it's not like rockets are terrible against infantry either. Um, So, like, you don't need to give every Marine one, but I generally had two full squads with four rockets each um, when I was going into an enemy's base. Like, they're very, very useful. Um, And I found very little use for the Flamer weapons. And um, I guess when I was playing against the Chaos faction, I was taking the heavy the weapons that were good against heavy infantry but that mm. like like you i overwhelmingly took the rockets when i could so i do i do think there's a problem here it does make the decision making a bit too autopiloty for my taste i think that there's like a lot of opportunity for some very interesting rock paper scissors shenanigans mm. um and again um just failed to take advantage of that
0: i expect in multiplayer that these vehicles are balanced by their absurd cost because they require like a ridiculous amount of power um and if you go in infantry you don't even need to go power or you can go only a little bit of power but in the campaign where you can just build up your army you end up getting a bunch of vehicles yourself getting a bunch of infantry that can deal with um you know vehicles and buildings And then you can eventually slowly roll your way through. It doesn't help that, like, your Space Marine squad still has, you know... You know, four to five guys who are just shooting their regular guns at infantry like you said a, a, a space marine squad with missile launches isn't useless against infantry so you don't need to diversify and your vehicles will take care of their infantry no problem so yeah you're felt- um
1: you're making use of the, the the bombs right the the active abilities on the squads as well to take out vehicles so
0: the um the jet marine the assault marines the ones with the jet packs had grenades uh,
1: like melter bombs right
0: yes but each squad has one charge of a grenade uh which does okay. i don't know how much it is like 15 percent of an enemy's health bar and i found the rocket launches ended up being way more useful i rarely use the assault marines because having space marines with rocket launches ended up being my default strategy so um yeah i i think it's a I think it's very interesting and I wish it had been executed better here because customization and modularity of these units is very cool but yeah you just end up getting a bunch of rocket launchers and maybe there's something I don't understand about the balance but uh yeah it seems very vehicle centric.
1: Really my two primary complaints about the actual gameplay of this game are a the AI Which is sorely lacking in a bunch of departments, um, and B the mission variety. um, If those two things were fixed, I think you'd have a a a superb game here um, that had some interesting ideas that differentiated itself to to other RTS. But as it stands, I think it leaves the whole experience being kind of you know average uh, as a whole um, because of these two major shortcomings.
0: So I have an even bigger problem. That I haven't even okay. got into, and it drove me right. insane. Is my number one criticism, pathfinding. Pathfinding in this game is the worst. Some of the worst pathfinding I've had to deal with ever. Did really? You- yeah. So basically, the problem is vehicles hit boxes. A are gigantic. Yeah. Gigantic. Okay, I know what you're talking about. So, so if you've got just infantry it's generally fine. If you've got just vehicles, it's often just fine. But the moment you try and create a mixed composition of vehicles and infantry and you try and order them to move out, it is a disaster. I had times mm. where people from the same infantry squad were like half the map away because some of the squad was able to get past a vehicle and the other wasn't. The The infantry just can't move past the vehicles. It's It's ridiculous. So you have to do this thing where... Your vehicles are like way ahead of your infantry and your infantry stay back. And it, it is a significant problem because part of the joy of RTSs is, is, you know, ordering these like attacks where you move your units in together as a coordinated force. I mm-hmm. felt unable to do that in Dawn of War. I think that part of the issue is also due to the level design. The level design is quite narrow in a lot of places. And you often have too many squads to comfortably occupy those narrow spaces. Because some there are multiple missions where there's literally a single path for you to follow. Or there's a clear kind of like winding path that you're meant to go along. And so you kind of move your troops along said winding path. But when it narrows down and you've got your four, you know, space marine squads and you've got two dreadnoughts and two... Um, two of the big heavy tanks rhino tanks i think they're called it just oh i just hate it so much james it's basically (laughs) unplayable i think that the pathfinding i think one of the reasons these guys moved to the small squads in dawn of war 2 was that they couldn't solve the shitty pathfinding of these units it drove me insane
1: it did annoy me as well um but i kind of the workaround i used was Generally, I'd have two to three uh, control groups worth of units uh, exploring mm-hmm. different sections of the map. Usually, if this shit started happening to me, I'd just like leave it and go to another section of units and focus on them <laughs> so that I wasn't triggered as hard. Um, one thing that I have remembered now that you've mentioned this is that the micro is very imprecise in this game. I don't think you can target individual units um for everyone to attack um despite the fact that squads will you know as you buy special weapons the weapons will appear on units like you know you you've got a vehicle and there's a there's a marine with a a rocket launcher you want to take that rocket launcher out but if you you know you select all your units and you click on that guy they just kind of shoot what's closest to them regardless uh, I could not figure out how to get things to focus specific buildings uh, or even, you know, enemies. Just clicking on them, they would kind of move towards that point. And then if they ever came into contact with anything else, they would stop and start shooting that.
0: Well, you couldn't, like, destroy a tank with your space marines, for example.
1: Well, I could if it was the only thing. Like, oftentimes when I was in a base... Um, i would have you know a bunch of squads and i would click on a specific tank and then some of them would start shooting at that tank and then a couple of others would see a building nearby them and they'd start attacking that instead Um, i found the fine control to be really lacking in general
0: interesting i don't think i had that issue i know that there's sometimes a delay before they start doing it the other issue is that because your unit like because a unit is a bunch of marines uh you know, it's it's multiple units within the same squad and you just control the unit. I, you will have, when you attack, if the normal Marines are out of range of the building, they won't move up to attack that building. Only the missile launcher ones will, because they're the only ones that are actually in range. But uh, I was able to, you know, focus fire with my missile launcher squads. I don't know what I'd be able to do if I couldn't because several Mm -hmm. missions require you to advance through like a lot of tanks and i mean a lot
1: Um, i mean if there's only a couple of targets it's fine but as soon as you have like a couple dozen bodies to aim at it gets a bit confused i think
0: the the game does get extremely chaotic at times like bodies flying everywhere and you're not struggling to keep track you're reinforcing your squads you're upgrading that's kind
1: of a good thing though right because it it the chaos of everything is you know perfect for the flavor of the game and of the you know the setting uh when there was massive battles and you can barely hear anything over the cacophony of the gunfire and the marines screaming at each other and the explosions and the tanks uh i thought that was excellent it was like exactly what i want out of this game
0: there was a real sense of spectacle which i think is very um is very impressive that I I was still impressed by that even even today so yeah when it got chaotic the fine you know losing the fine control was annoying but you could revel in the chaos of it particularly in those later missions where there's just like tanks and dreadnoughts and everything just going at it it's uh it is very enjoyable
1: yeah I want to reinforce that I think that as a 40k fan this game does an excellent job of living out the fantasy of the game Uh, you know, as a video game rather than a tabletop game. You know, all the units look exactly like their models. All of the dialogue is great and the banter is exactly what you'd expect. The factions are all, you know, as their factions should be. There's chaos in the battles. Um, I think all the menus and all the interface looks very 40k, very grimdark. You know, the war-torn streets with craters and broken buildings everywhere excellently capture the setting and aesthetic Um, And, you know, my main takeaway from uh, Dawn of War is that this is a great game for people who really want to see the tabletop game come to life in a video game, but less so a great game for people that just want a good RTS to play.
0: Uh, Do we count that as your final impression, James?
1: Um, I mean, it's, it's getting close to my final impression. I don't know a whole heap more that I'd add to it.
0: Uh, okay, well, w- is there anything else you want to add before I move on to mine then? I oh, I I will say that the other thing that I found irritating, and you might think this is a small thing, but it, it irritated the crap out of me, the screen scrolling is not consistent. You can't just freely move your screen around. If you kind of move your mouse to the edge of the screen, um, it kind of locks the other orientation. So if you move your mouse to the right, you can't just immediately go up you kind of have to pull away and then go up and i know that's a technical nitty-gritty sort of detail but it really annoyed me i like having Um, good clean control
1: generally i found with the edge scrolling that it would be really bad and unresponsive until you alt tabbed once and then it would work fine for me i had no Uh. problems but I'll every single my mission, resolution
0: was related to that because i didn't have a widescreen fix yeah
1: yeah i like i had issues where you know when you go to edge pan your mouse goes out of the window and it doesn't do anything uh right. it goes to my other monitor instead that happened a lot <laughs> but basically every time i had edge panning issues alt tabbing fixed it so maybe you should have mentioned that at the start of the episode in technical issues but that's probably the the only thing i can think of
0: yeah, I, I think it's just what the game's like. It's just a bit clunky and old and not great in that regard. But yeah, I don't know if that counts as a bug or not, maybe.
1: No, I think uh, I think it is fine. Did you have anything else? I, this is going to be a short episode. I think uh, we've hit the nail on the head in a, a lot of sections.
0: I think, uh, I guess I would say that the, you know, we played on what's effectively normal difficulty, what's called hard. And um it was pretty damn easy uh i had to reset one mission once because uh, you, basically you have to capture these four relics and then hold them and i captured the four relics without knowing i had to hold them and by the time i captured the relics my army was not very impressive i was like oh my god i have to rebuild <laughs> everything so i kind of reset to a checkpoint and then wiped out all of the chaos forces and then i captured the relics instead of frantically capturing the relics while being shot at which was the stupid way to do it but apart from that i just kind of breezed through
1: yeah it was still pretty easy i'd say if you're pretty competent at video games then you should definitely play on insane i don't think it'll be uh you know actually insane it'll probably be you know a, a decent challenge as opposed to being a bit of a pushover
0: it is the stupid thing where it just gives the enemies 50 percent more hit points so i don't know if i'd influence yeah. that, that was that was always you know playing tribes vengeance where they just literally triple the hit points of all the enemies oh my god <laughs> i really hate that system so i don't want to inflict that upon anyone but yeah it was it was a little too easy but yeah that was due to the ordinary ai and them not challenging you with unique objectives
1: all right um did you want to wrap up with your final thoughts then
0: yeah so warhammer 40k dawn of war is a really interesting one i kind of had fond memories of this coming back to it because of my times you know playing it on lands with friends and I do like the world of 40k, uh, even though I think it has some serious problems and that Warhammer 30k with the Horus Heresy ends up being more interesting. I think in the end, I cannot recommend Warhammer 40k to anyone except the diehard Warhammer 40k fanatics. I think that the story that it presents you is competent but bland, and I think that it fails to explore a lot of interesting threads it feels like a missed opportunity i think that the macro economics game, uh macro sort of scale where you're you know trying to fight over control points ends up being far less interesting in practice that it could that it could potentially be with the weak ai and kind of dull mission structure I think that the micro things where you're modulating squads and everything is kind of ruined by the strength of vehicles because you feel forced down this path of building anti-vehicular units because of how strong they are and I think that the general game feel is bad because of the screen scrolling and the atrocious pathfinding. It feels like a game with so much potential but one that has fallen to the clunkiness of time. I can see how a lot of these issues could have been forgivable at the time of release, but playing it today was frustrating. I I didn't have a great time and it was just a bit too repetitive and bland. I think there are so many things about this game that are interesting to talk about and interesting to discuss. You know, the squads, the squad structure, having a unit as a squad versus it being an individual unit is just a very novel concept but the experience of playing this video game uh, the campaign was not a great one, so uh, I can't recommend it only for the die-hard Warhammer 40k fanatics who want every bit of lore they can get their hands upon.
1: Yeah, I mean, I ultimately I think I enjoyed my time with this game. I don't think I loved this time, like my time with this game, but I had a good time. Um, I thought that you know it was fun to you know send control groups of units around the map and capture points. Um, I think that. It's worth noting that we only played the campaign of the base game. Um, So, you know, if you want a more diverse experience, this game has like three or four expansions with a whole bunch of different, you know, factions and campaign. And, you know, obviously it has multiplayer and like a lot of skirmish modes. Um, So I find it hard because I think that this game has a bit more to offer than, you know, we're exploring in this episode, you know?
0: I mean, absolutely. Uh, The game has three expansions, and at the time in which it was released, it did have a very uh, big multiplayer following, something that we haven't touched on at all. But, you know, it's always the the constant issue. Um, So many video games, so little time. Mm. I do think that I'm going to talk to some people, people who are fans of this series, and maybe get them to recommend one of the three expansions to us because I know that the expansions, or I'm pretty sure the expansions are standalone expansions. I don't think that you need to get each each and every one. You, you can basically pick which one you play. So it's possible that one of these expansions, like by the third iteration, that they have solved a lot of the problems or added interesting things or who knows. So I'm not ready to give up on the Dawn of War franchise. I just think that this offering is a rather poor one overall.
1: Yeah, and so, you know, overall, this game, good for 40k fans, No, not so much for, you know, people who just want a RTS campaign to play. Um, so that brings us to the end of the episode. Um, Patrick, did you want to lead us out?
0: I'd be delighted to. Um, Firstly, thank you so much for everyone for listening. We appreciate it um, and we'd love to hear what you think. Uh, We are, of course, the retrospectors Podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur and I was joined by my co-host, James Turlings. You can find all of our content, including all of our other podcast episodes and a bunch of articles we've written about games old and new on our website, which is rspodcast.net. That also has links to all of our social media and all the places you can listen to us, including just a simple RSS feed. Uh, Most importantly, we would love if you would come and join our Discord server. Our Discord server has all of the conversation and arguments about video games that you would expect when we <laughs> throw out our <laughs> controversial opinions, killing sacred cows, all that. And you know, one thing we love more than anything else is talking about video games. That's why we started this show. So if you have any opinions, good or bad, we would love if you would join us. Uh yeah, so uh and in particular we've got our mailbag episode coming up before too yes. long. It'll be in Please be send just... us
1: questions. Send us questions on Discord send us questions on twitter we would love to hear from you um otherwise we're not going to have much to talk about unfortunately
0: (laughs) we'll do we'll do a final call for mailbag questions and i'm sure we'll get plenty but yeah if you if you're a listener and you'd love to ask us a question about anything related to video gaming we would love to hear it so that about wraps up episode 49 warhammer dawn of war so james we're we're up to episode 50
1: we have a, uh, a special announcement for a very special episode coming up next week, not just the mailbag episode in a couple of weeks. Patrick has, uh, as, as we've done this show, Patrick has made it very clear that there are some games that he likes to uh, compare every other game on the planet to when doing these reviews. And uh, there is probably no greater offender in this category than Dark Souls. And Dark Souls is a game that came out in 2011. So it quite does not meet our, uh, you know, our cutoff of 2005. However, we were wanting to do something special for episode 50. And so we thought that there was no other game, no game that has been mentioned more on this podcast than Dark Souls. And uh, for that reason, we are going to be doing it for episode 50. In my defense,
0: James, I feel like, Although I am the primary culprit in bringing up Dark Souls, and I do it a lot, I think you do your fair share of bringing (laughs) up Dark Souls as well. So it's not just me. I think that we're both, maybe not equally guilty, but we both have to share the burden of mentioning Dark Souls.
1: I mean, I mention it so much because you know you haven't played games other than Dark Souls. <laughs> so you, you won't understand my my genius comparisons if I don't use this game <laughs>
0: i I think that i've I've been looking forward to doing this for ages. like Dark Souls, as you all know, is one of my favorite games of all time, and I don't think it's a flawless game, but I think that there are so many things that are quietly brilliant about it that I'm looking forward to speaking about it for four hours while James sits in a corner crying that the podcast episode <laughs> will never end. And I look forward to, yeah, critiquing something like this, one of my sacred cows, to see if I can actually be objective and attack it in the ways that it deserves This to be game attacked. isn't
1: very good. You just, like, stand behind a pillar and shoot things with arrows and they die. <laughs> now, well
0: james play style is a bit more cowardly than uh than mine but uh yeah i would love for you all to join us for the dark souls episode i'm gonna do pages and pages of notes i have so much to say about this game probably too much and uh yeah we'd love we'd love to the, see the, that.
1: the biggest problem is going to be that during the episode we're not going to have other games to compare it to because you know <laughs> your comparison is dark souls like what you're going to compare it to itself i mean i guess you could
0: it's the um it's the zero bc of video games it's the it's the start In 2011 video games were invented with dark souls so yeah you're right we're going to have to use a completely different set of terminology
1: uh. Uh, i'm rolling my eyes and i think a lot of other people will be too (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, but yeah
0: uh so yeah we'll see you for episode 50 on dark souls in a fortnight
1: see you then